Part 5. Covenant Succession and Continuity. The Seven Chalices. Revelation 15 through 22. Introduction. As we have seen, the final section of Revelation corresponds to Christ's letter to the angel of the church at Thyatira, which speaks of his judgment on, quote, Jezebel, unquote, the false bride. And like the letter to the angel of the church at Laodicea, it speaks against the economically wealthy yet spiritually wretched church, Judaism, which Christ is about to spit out of his mouth. This section also corresponds to the last of the four living creatures, the man-cherub, and, in St. John's order, the last quarter of the zodiac, ruled by the constellation of Aquarius, the water-pourer. Accordingly, the symbol of judgment in this section is that of the angels pouring out God's wrath from their chalices. We have also noted that the last division in Revelation corresponds to the fifth and final part of the covenantal treaty structure, the succession arrangements. This deals with the continuity of the covenant, the disinheritance of illegitimate members, and the inheritance of those who are faithful to their sworn obligations, compare Deuteronomy 31-34. through Moses begins this section of Deuteronomy with orders for extending the covenant into the future. He charges the people, 31, 1-6, Joshua, 31, 7-8, and the priests, 31, 9-13, with the duty of following the covenant program and ensuring its transmission to the coming generations. Then, 31, 14-15, God appears in the glory cloud at the doorway of the tabernacle to meet with Moses and Joshua and instructs them to teach a song of witness to the children of Israel. He says to Moses, quote, Behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers, and this people will arise and play the harlot with the strange gods of the land into the midst of which they are going, and will forsake me and break my covenant which I have made with them. Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them and hide my face from them, and they shall be consumed, and many evils and troubles shall come upon them. Now therefore write this song for yourselves, and teach it to the sons of Israel. Put it in their mouths, in order that this song may be a witness for me against the sons of Israel. Then it shall come about that when many evils and troubles have come upon them, that this song will testify before them as a witness." Unquote. 31, 16 through 21. As Klein shows, the song of witness, Deuteronomy 32, is, quote, Yahweh's covenant lawsuit against his ungrateful and unfaithful people, prophetically delivered through Moses, the man of God. See Deuteronomy 33, 1. The man of X, being a title for the messengers of great kings, unquote. A model covenant lawsuit, the song itself is structured according to the standard form of the treaty document. Thus, we have the familiar outline. 1. Preamble, 32, 1-4. 2. Historical prologue, 32, 5-14. 3. Record of Rebellion Against Covenant Stipulations, 
32, 15-18. 4. Sanctions. A. Curses against covenant breakers, 32, 19-25. B. Blessings on the remnant through redemptive judgment, 32, 26-43. 5. Succession arrangements, 32, 44-34, 12. Both Moses and Joshua taught the Song of Witness to the people, 3244. It might well be called, quote, the Song of Moses and Joshua, unquote. Accordingly, in the corresponding fifth section of Revelation, St. John begins with a manifestation of God's glory at, quote, the sanctuary of the tabernacle of the testimony, unquote, where God gives a covenantal commission to seven angel priests, as choral accompaniment to all this, the remnant sings, quote, the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, unquote. The Lamb, as all St. John readers know, is Jesus, the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua. The song is therefore, quote, the song of Moses and the greater Joshua, unquote. In Revelation 15 and 16, the tabernacle is opened, and the priests are sent forth to pour out their chalice judgments upon Israel as punishment for her harlotry, the chief crime that called forth the original Song of Witness, Deuteronomy 31.16. Here we should note one important element that ties chapters 15-22 through 22 together as a literary unit. After the seven angels have poured out their chalices of wrath, one of the same seven angels comes to show St. John, quote, the judgment of the great harlot, unquote, 17.1. Later, in the final vision of the book, another of these chalice angels shows St. John the harlot's opposite number, quote, the bride, the wife of the lamb, unquote, 21.9. Clearly, the visions relating to both the harlot and the bride are extensions of the seven chalices section of the prophecy. As God had declared in Moses' Song of Witness, he is the jealous husband, betrayed by the infidelity of this, quote, perverse generation, unquote, Deuteronomy 32, 5, 16, 20 through 21. Compare Matthew 17, 17, Acts 2, 40. The punishment he sends will be that already threatened in Deuteronomy 28, 49 through 57. A fearful enemy nation will rise to destroy Israel, bringing vengeance upon God's apostate, quote, wife, unquote, Deuteronomy 32, 21-25. This theme is taken up and enlarged in Revelation 17-18, through 18, where the harlot bride is destroyed for her unfaithfulness. Yet the remnant is saved. And as we have seen, this, quote, remnant, unquote, is ultimately larger than its original, being transformed into a great multitude that no one can count, vastly outnumbering the old Israel. Revelation 7. God guarantees the covenantal succession by establishing the transcendent new covenant. Distinguishing his true heirs, he incorporates them into the bride of the Lamb, the new Jerusalem. And bride and bridegroom meet in the sacramental meal, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Revelation 19. 1 through 10. After singing the Song of Witness, Moses outlines the future of the twelve tribes in a final testament, 
Deuteronomy 33, compare Revelation 21.12, which proclaims the coming of the Lord in salvation, Deuteronomy 33.2, and exults in the priestly and regal dominion God will provide for his people. There is none like the God of Jeshurun, who rides the heavens to your help, and through the skies in his majesty. The eternal God is a dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And he drove out the enemy from before you, and said, Destroy! So Israel dwells in security, the fountain of Jacob secluded, in a land of grain and new wine. His heavens also drop down, Jew. Blessed are you, O Israel. Who is like you, a people saved by the Lord? Who is the shield of your help, and the sword of your majesty? So your enemies shall cringe before you, and you shall tread upon their high places. Deuteronomy thirty-three twenty-six through twenty-nine, compare Revelation nineteen, eleven, through twenty-two five. Finally, the Lord takes Moses to the top of Mount Nebo, showing him the promised land, but informing him again that he will not be able to lead the people into it. His place must be taken by Joshua the conqueror, Deuteronomy 34, 1-9. Nevertheless, Moses' status remains unique, for, quote, Since then no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Deuteronomy 34.10. St. John's message in Revelation, however, is that, as Moses wished, all the Lord's people are prophets. Numbers 11.29. Christians, as, quote, bond servants, unquote, like Moses, Revelation 15.3, are not inferior even to angels in their sanctuary privileges, 19.10, but have complete access to God, exercising the same outspoken freedom of speech, compare Hebrews 10.19, that he enjoyed. Before God's heavenly throne, quote, his bondservants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads, unquote. Revelation 22.4.